inside Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football. It's Cofield and Company. Snap to Prescott. They blitz him. He throws it left. Lambs in the corner of the end zone. And he walks under the ball. Touchdown to C.D. Lamb. And Schultz is shrugging his shoulders saying that was too easy. Fourth and goal at the one. 31 seconds. Hand off. Gets in. In the end zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Washington. 6'5", 245 pounds, three-time Pro Bowler Cam Newton. Newton's going to run right, in the grass, breaks a tackle. McCaffrey, <laughs> Newton, everybody celebrating, touchdown right side. It's time for Cofield and Company. With Adam Candy and William Ramirez. On ESPN Las Vegas. Company takeover here on your Monday night. Adam Candy, Willie Ramirez out at Twin Peaks on Eastern, just off the 215 for Monday Night Football, Rams 49ers coming up. Steve Cofield's back with you tomorrow. Uh, Steve checked out the uh, the home of the Rams, SoFi Stadium. Over the weekend, he'll have the full review of that and more. But let's get to it here in the Big Five. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Rams, as we mentioned a moment ago, are three-and-a-half-point favorites, 50-and-a-half the total on the game. Uh, Willie's out of Twin Peaks for that contest. And and on the other side of this, Willie, uh, I thought the San Francisco 49ers were going to be a contender in the NFC this year. I thought after all the injuries they suffered last year, they would get healthy, that Kyle Shanahan would get this team moving the right direction uh, with that running attack, and... It just hasn't happened. I mean, this team has now lost four of its last five games. They're three and five overall. The Cardinals are running away with the NFC West, and and now the Niners kind of feel like this might be a last stand kind of situation here against the Rams. What have you seen going on with San Francisco thus far this year? Well, first and foremost, and I, you know, I take this from the Raiders press conferences all the time is. We have to get takeaways or we can't turn the ball over. And when you look at the complexion of that statistic on both sides with San Francisco, they rank 28th in the league in allowing 14 – they've turned the ball over 14 times. On the other side of it, they rank second to last. They have That defense has generated five turnovers. So they're minus nine in the turnover department. So first and foremost, they're coughing things up. And they're not getting the ball back. They're not doing their offense. The defense isn't doing the offense any favors whatsoever. Um, the lack of production can be attributed to, and I brought this up earlier um, in, with another team, but in terms of just the, their average drive, the, the numbers where they're at with their average drive, they hold on to a football per possession 2 minutes and 36 seconds. That's 27th in the league. They're driving 5.71 yards. 28th in the league just not going to get it done if you cannot sustain drives and keep your defense off the field to rest them that was a big problem last night with the Raiders that was brought up Derek Carr brought that up we got we have to keep the ball on the field we got to keep our defense on the sidelines so I think that San Francisco somewhat has been doing that all season you know the problems that we saw with the Raiders last night in terms of that um, and it's defense alone is struggling against the pass it certainly can't stop the run so if you have a team with a balanced offense, it's just going to ram it down your throat, set up the play action, 
And I just don't think that San Francisco has the personnel to counter a team such as the Rams tonight that can bring it on both sides of the ball. So on the other side for San Francisco, when you look at the offense, um, this is the game that is going to determine whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo gets to play anymore for the San Francisco 49ers, I think. Because if they lose this game tonight and drop to 3-6, and six, they're out of the playoff race for all intents and purposes. There'll be a couple of games back of that seventh wild card. But really, you're not playing for the seventh wild card, the seventh spot and the wild card. Nobody's playing for that at the beginning of the season. There right. is going to be no reason left to sit mm-hmm. Trey Lance on the sidelines. Every game from now on, if the 49ers don't win tonight, the Trey Lance doesn't start is another wasted game of his rookie contract, another wasted chance to see if the guy you traded up to number three overall to get is the future of your franchise. What you do know is that it's not Jimmy Garoppolo. Pro Football Focus has a stat called Big Time Throws. They watch every throw, every play, and they say, basically, how much value are you adding? How many times did you drop that ball in a bucket and help your team win? This year thus far, Derek Carr leads the NFL with 28 big-time throws. Jimmy Garoppolo, yes, he's missed a couple of weeks due to injury, has four. He has four big-time throws. His turnover-worthy play rate is among the highest in the league. The San Francisco 49ers need to turn the page to Trey Lance. Let's see if he is the future for them. Let's see if he's going to be able to get things started here on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I Number four. Go ahead, Willie. Finish the drink. No, 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 no. My bad. I didn't. I switched screens, and we're good. Let's do it. Number four. That's okay. That's all. Listen, you got to switch screens. You you are out at Twin Peaks where they have so many screens that I don't know how you keep your focus on any one of them and at any given time. Dude, I don't know what has Monday taken place, comes. but but there are there. It. I'm seeing like there are Ram jerseys on my right in this one section where it's kind of like the screen and it's sort of outdoors, but it's not. And now there's 49er jerseys coming in. And I'm not even playing. It is getting packed in here. It is going to get wild when this game gets started. We have another guy just dropped off the raffle. It's getting packed. I got tickets down here. Get, you got to get down here and get your table. That's all I know. So um, I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, and we were talking about reality television and why is it popular. Basically, what, like, if you break it down all the way to, you know, to, to the studs, what is it? that gets people watching reality TV. And, and, and a lot of it, to me, breaks down to, well, when I see how crazy that looks on the screen, I feel better about whatever's going on in my day. Like, hey, at least it's not that. Like, at least it's not going that badly. And, and Willie, I saw a story earlier today that gave me sort of a real-life version of that, uh, looking at Ben Zobrist, former Chicago Cub, world champion with the Cubs, uh, former... Uh, Tampa Bay Ray for a while, Kansas City Royal. Uh, this is just an unbelievable story about Ben Zobrist. He's in a very high-profile marriage uh, with a woman who's a, uh, a Christian singer, very popular, Juliana Zobrist. Um, they filed for divorce, but Willie, this is one of those stories where you feel like every time you've read the worst of it, you then see something else, and you're like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Ben Zobrist discovered his wife was having an affair with their minister uh, from church, Okay, that's one level. Um, turns out that the minister was also their marriage counselor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who was counseling them both pre- and post-divorce, and that Ben Zobrist, because the guy was his pastor, thought, 
well, you know, this is a guy I can confide in and was talking about getting himself through the divorce. Okay, that's another level. That's another hard way to take yourself through an impossible time. But wait, it gets worse. The guy also worked his way, did the pastor, into a job as the head of Ben Zobrist's charity. And now Ben Zobrist is suing him for defrauding the charity. Willie, uh, every time I feel like I've, I can feel no worse for Ben Zobrist than I already do, and I don't, you know, again, marriages are sovereign nations. Who knows who said what, who did what? But what's out there in this story via uh, the Journal Star is pretty remarkable. I am baffled as I'm reading as you're narrating in that Byron Yawn, the CEO of Forest Crane and Company, I just, it's, it's, that's baffling to listen to. I mean, now, here's the thing. I will say this in this day and age. It's not surprising. Uh, as crazy as this twisted tale goes... I'm not sure it's surprising, and I mean, it's almost as if now I'm waiting to find out if Zobrist will be contacted by Hollywood, and this gets made into some crazy movie. Beginning in 2018, to give you some of the script, Yawn, the pastor, talked daily with Juliana Zobrist, the lawsuit states by, uh, by Ben Zobrist. It's alleged their sexual relationship began in the spring of 2019, lasted for a year, uh, and here's where you know they didn't think that it was just some regular old counseling. Uh, Jan and Juliana Zobrist used prepaid mobile telephones to help conceal their relationship. Jan's wife, yes, he's married too, reportedly discovered the phones in May of 2019. It's like an episode of The Wire. They're using burner phones to try to yeah. conceal their relationship. Oh, my goodness gracious. Sorry, that's my reality Except TV for the day. Except that, we know it. what would take place to Byron if this was in the wire. Well, we absolutely do. I think Byron, uh, Byron, Mr. Yawn, would be up in the vacants. Number three. For the Vegas Golden Knights, who are back on the ice tomorrow carrying a three-game winning streak, Willie, another story where you feel like every time you've reached the bottom when it comes to the injuries, something else pops up for VGK. Okay, great. They got Mark Stone back. You can't add much more to the lineup than the captain. Uh, but now today, come out of the optional practice and find out that Will Carrier, who's actually taken some first-line rushes uh, for the Golden Knights at times this year, of course, the stalwart of the fourth line for many years, Will Carrier's in the COVID protocol, and now you take another one of the regular forwards out of the lineup. And, you know, that's obviously a little bit concerning going into a matchup with Carolina tomorrow at T-Mobile. It is, um, but as we talked about earlier and then again with Ashley in that, you know, the, the interchangeable parts that we've seen through this season, they have realistically learned how to deal. And I'm trying to think, was it Cotter that went to Henderson when Stone returned? So I'm guessing that he'll be the first back to replace Carrier. Um, it's, it, what, here's what's wild to me, Adam, is – the injuries have been such the storyline with this team, and we are now in, a, in, in realistics in our third season dealing with this pandemic because you had the bubble season, then you had the truncated season, and now we have this season. The way that Peter DeBoer said it today in the film room was so nonchalant 
there was an update than this. Oh, and by the way, I think the team reported Carrier is now in COVID protocol. It, but just passed a glance right over it. You know, last season, when it was, you know, the, the uh, shortened season, I mean, it was like a big deal, and it was okay, and then, well, we're not sure if the press come for this, we're going to have to shut the facility, not shut the facility, but, you know, clean it, just scour this, one test. You just never knew what was going to take place. Now it's like, oh, oh, and by the way, he's been placed in protocol. And, that's, that's it. and by the way, Ottawa's had its season delayed now because – 10 plus, I think, right? 10 or 10 members. There's 10 an outbreak in Ottawa here at the moment. They're, They're not going to be back Ottawa. on the ice until so, the, the 20th. But I just found it a little, I mean, I don't want to say the word funny because we're still in a pandemic. It's not funny, but you know what I'm saying. It was just kind of the way that he was so nonchalant. Oh, by the way, and Carrier's in protocol. And then we just kept going through the press conference. Like, I think a couple of us was like, wait, did he just say, oh, okay, and then tweeted it out. So, it, so. You mentioned, so obviously, you know, Cotter goes out to the Silver Knights. He said that he's coming back. So I can't wait for Pete DeBoer to say, welcome back, Cotter. Number two. Welcome back. Now, now, see, you get yourself out to Twin Peaks. Willie will sing for you, too. Just got to tell him what your favorite cereal is. (laughs) Um, So we have to talk about a play, Willie, that we haven't mentioned yet from Sunday Mm. Night Football, from the Raiders 41-14 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. And mind you, when we say 41-14, to 14, this play happened at 24-14 to 14 with five and a half minutes to go in the third quarter. We talked earlier with Adam Hill. Why aren't they throwing the ball deep? That's why you brought Deshaun Jackson in. Throw the ball down the field. Well, Derek Carr did exactly that to the new acquisition, Deshaun Jackson. Fires it down the field. The defender on Deshaun Jackson on that deep crosser falls down. There's nothing but green grass in front of Deshaun Jackson. Um, And then his Waze app or his Google Maps went sideways. Uh, His GPS got completely turned around, and Deshaun Jackson ended up going back into the defender instead of toward the end zone, had the ball punched out, literally punched out, and that was it, man. That was it. The, The Honey Badger comes up with the fumble. The Chiefs get the ball back. They go down and score. And what looked like the Raiders going in to get with back within three points against the Kansas City Chiefs turned into a three-score game, and that was about it. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen much of anything that's ever looked like that Deshaun Jackson play. Well, let me and let me let me re, let's retrace this explanation now. So Derek Carr drops back, steps up into the pocket, takes an extra step, fires it downfield, roughly 38. Four, it was it was actually because I went through it slow motion because that was my sidebar. Josh Dubow was in town. He wrote the main. I wrote the sidebar. The sidebar was on the play. He threw it 40 yards. It was behind the line of scrimmage, so obviously, so that's why it was a 38-yard catch. Number one, it was underthrown. So the defender was Honey Badger. It was Tyron Matthew. and He didn't fall down. What he had done was he had kind of come back to dive underneath it to pick it. It made it over as he dove. And Deshaun Jackson made a nice adjustment to come back and get the ball. What happened after that is lunacy. He gets it, and as he turns to go, he sees, uh, was it Fenton? And instead of just continuing to turn and go upfield, he turned inward, allowing the defender to take his left arm, reach under his waist, and kind of get leverage. And it, that somewhat allowed him to just wind up with his right hand 
and punched the ball out of Deshaun Jackson's hand. He actually put himself in position to be bear hugged and have the ball punched. And I'm not sure why he just didn't turn upfield and run. I'm not an NFL player. I don't know what the instinctive move was or what was going through his head to make the move that he did. But that was what took place. And, you know, Basachi has said in his opening statement, and I asked him about it, he said, you know, was that, could it have been a game changer one way or the other? Could that have been the momentum swing? Could that have been the, the pivotal point? They did go on to score 17 unanswered points. But Alex Leatherwood costed the team with a false start very early in the game that also somewhat dictated, when you look back, we didn't know it at the time, but when you look back, somewhat dictated the mistakes, the ebbs and flows that this team went through. But, yes, that play was as baffling a play as we've ever seen considering the fact that we're talking about a guy who was brought in to replace speed with speed, and all you have to do is turn, go upfield, and dart toward, even if you didn't make it, hold on to the ball, get tackled, you're in position, momentum, the crowd, and that's it. Number one. Well, uh, momentum is a fickle thing, Willie, and the Las Vegas Raiders had the chance to build more of it in that AFC West because the way that day broke down, Denver put out a dog crap performance against Philadelphia. Uh, that was a game that they had a chance to win multiple times and just could never get over themselves. Mistake after mistake, turnovers, penalties, and the Chargers? Something's not right with that offense right now. Uh, and and the Chargers score three points in the second half and end up losing at home to Minnesota. And so the winner of the Chiefs-Raiders game was going to have control of the AFC West. Uh, Willie, when you look at the path forward for the Raiders here, is there still a way for them to win this division, or you think they have to focus on the wild card now? No, I don't think that you focus on the wild card when it's a one, you know, it, there's still one game. Uh, Chiefs got a game in hand, but I mean, I believe they got a game in uh, six and three, six and four. Um, you still have to focus on the division champs because anything can happen, okay? Um, what's crazy is Mahomes is 11-0 in his career on the road at AFC West Rose. The losses he's taken in the division have been on his field. The Raiders have to work on themselves and focus on the task at hand and play this game by game at this point and play their cards and hope that the, conti that the, that the division continues to go the way that it's somewhat gone. Um, the Chargers are the wild card in terms of when I say that I don't mean the playoff spot, but the wild card out there in terms of what how they do things in you know in their facility and how they turn things around. Um, because I think that's who they're going to be battling. Denver's defense, I believe, is for real, but we saw Philadelphia go in there and handle that team quite easily. Um, I think that Denver is the fourth best team in that league. They're the worst team in the in that division. Kansas City has the potential to stay and be the number one. But Raiders can't. They got to focus on winning the division point blank and finish the season game by game. And the way to do that is going to come back to Derek Carr in the end. And when we come back, I, I have a breakdown on basically if it's not going to be Derek Carr, then the Raiders aren't going to make the playoffs. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570 9000. 
Live inside Twin Peaks, it's Cofield and Company. That pass is intercepted. Matthew Stafford has thrown the first turnover of the game. A little confusion with Odell Beckham Jr. Twin Peaks is your spot for Monday Night Football where you can catch the Rams and the 49ers as Niners try to get up early as three-and-a-half-point dogs. With Ramirez out there, Adam Candy back here. Derek Carr at the center of it for the Las Vegas Raiders. And I said before the break, and, and you need to understand just how this has changed. It went from the Raiders trying to win around Derek Carr to the Raiders winning because of Derek Carr. If you look at his grades this year by Pro Football Focus, in the wins for the Raiders, here are his grades. 90.5, 86.2, 84.3, 81.3, 74.9. The 74.9 was in that weird week one game where he had to throw the ball 56 times against Baltimore. Uh, so, yeah, not surprising to see the quarterback play well in wins, right? But take a look at what's happened in the losses. Grades of 64, 64.5, 67.7, 43.9 against the Giants. That 64 came against Kansas City. Here's some other stats that show you what Derek Carr's performance means to the Raiders. He had four interceptions total in the first six weeks of the season. He's had four in the last three weeks, including three in the last two. His big-time throws, I mentioned earlier, 28 to lead all of football. He's had just two per game in each of the last two games. He was averaging close to four prior to that. Uh, His average depth of target, and this is where you see the rugs thing start to come into play. First six weeks of the season, Derek Carr was averaging for every target 10 yards down the field, really pushing the issue in a way he never had before in his career. In the last two weeks, Derek Carr's average depth of target is down below seven yards per target. If you add in the Philadelphia game where they ran the ball a whole bunch, it goes down uh, in the range of six yards per target. The Raiders will go as far as Derek Carr takes them, but you know what? They'll also stop as short as Derek Carr stops short. Kansas City Chiefs get a huge, huge win here on Sunday night to grab control of the AFC West. Mark Borichter, former Kansas City Chief, joins us on Cofield & Company in a moment. Ice cold 29 degree beer for under $4 and cheap appetizers all game long. Get down here to Twin Peaks. We were so close. Like, you think about it, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know. But, you know, because we're so close for three more huge plays here and there. But once I watch the film and see, was it this, was it that, and you get a feel really the next day recapping of what went wrong. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. The voice of Derek Carr, Raiders quarterback, talking about how close he felt like the Raiders were to some bigger plays. They lose 41-14 to to the Chiefs, so I think it's easy to say to Derek Carr, well, yeah, I mean, close doesn't count much when you lose by 27, but there was a point in that game where the Raiders were still in it when it just talked about the Deshaun Jackson fumble when they were down by 10, what could have been a bigger play. Um, let's talk about this game with someone who's been on the inside of the Chiefs and Raiders rivalry. Former Kansas City Chief Mark Bowrick, you're joining us here on Cofield and Company. Uh, Mark, we, we know that the Kansas City Chiefs have been the talk of football for different reasons this year. And you, I noticed, I don't know if you have a history of being prophetic with these things, but I saw back on your Twitter on October 24th, you said, Chiefs fans, chill out. It's the first time this franchise has faced adversity. They're going to go through it. They're going to be okay. Uh, 
you look like a pretty smart guy after last night. Uh, yeah, I guess I do. And I tried to rub <laughs> it in a little bit, too. But I think <laughs> here's the thing. I, you guys know this. It's the National Football League, right? We've seen over the last couple of weeks that, not to be cliche, but anything can happen, right? Any given Sunday, some things can happen. And my whole point, you know, three, four weeks ago after the Tennessee Titans loss for the Kansas City Chiefs was this is the first time in the three and a half years as a starter in the Patrick Mahomes era that this team here in Kansas City has gone through true adversity. When I say true adversity, you know, two to three games, not just one stinker because every team is, is up for one of those a year in the National Football League, but two to three weeks where you didn't play well. And how are you going to respond from it? And as long as number 15 is your quarterback, uh, obviously here in Kansas City, we've obviously all seen across the you know the National Football League what he's been able to do. And my whole point was there there's some improvement that can come from him based on how defenses are playing the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And then obviously the defense could could be a heck of a lot better than what it was you know through those first few weeks and. Yeah, it looked pretty prophetic right now. It wasn't my intention at the time, but it was one of those situations that it's – and I took a lot of heat from it. Um, I'll tell you that from – as being a former player here in town uh, from fans, and I think – you know, I'll just say this. I think these fans have been spoiled the last three years, and that's a, that's a good thing. Um, but, yeah, this it's a long season, and obviously now 17 games, and a lot, a lot can happen, uh, as we all saw with – the Green Bay game here in, in uh, Kansas City with Aaron Rodgers being out, but you can only play the guys that are in front of you. And um, now this team sits at 6-4 uh, and four after a big win last night, obviously, against Las Vegas. Mark, you, you mentioned having number 15 and getting spoiled by Patrick Mahomes in, in a lot of ways. Um, Patrick Mahomes last night goes for 406 and five touchdowns. And Willie, my partner, earlier said, I asked him, are the Chiefs back? He said, I'm not sure they were ever really gone. Like, how do you feel about where the Chiefs' offense was last night compared to what you've seen the rest of the season? Well, I'll say this. I think they got back on track last night. I don't, I'm not one that's going to say, hey, this, this team is back yet um, by any means. Um, but it was a step, obviously, in the right direction. And what I saw last night – and actually what I've seen the last two weeks, and I know offensively the stats didn't show up against the Green Bay Packers for Patrick Mahomes. What I saw that week was, was progress. And when I say progress, is a lot's been made nationally and locally here about uh, you know teams playing two deep safeties to cover two look. And, and there's obviously variations of, of two deep safeties. It can be cover four, it can be cover two, it can be cover two man, it can be cover two match. There's a million ways you can play cover two by bracketing guys. Uh, or two deep safeties. But what I saw over the last couple of weeks is Patrick Mahomes taking what's, what's given to him. And it's not an adjustment of, hey, we're going to adjust offensively to what the defense is doing. It's just, I'm not going to be greedy. And that's the portion for him, and that's how he's wired. I'll just tell you this, being here in Kansas City watching, it's how he's wired to throw the football deep. But what you saw last night, too, against the Raiders is, you know, taking underneath routes with Tyreek Hill taking intermediate routes with Travis Kelsey and letting those guys get yards after the catch. And, and that's been the biggest difference, I think, over the last two weeks uh, for this offense. And 
again, I'm not ready to say this team is back yet, but, but you saw last night, I think, what the capabilities are uh, for this team. And I think more importantly, defensively for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, what they were able to do last night to Derek Carr by get pressure with, you know, sporadic blitzes, but get there with some of their front four is, is a huge step in the right direction. Um, Mark, let me counter for a moment. You had said that what they're not going to do, they're going to be patient and not make adjustments to what the defense is doing. What I had said earlier also is that I feel like part of the reason that we saw some somewhat stagnant points earlier um, with, with the Chiefs is because when you dominate the way that that team has for the past two seasons and won the AFC crown, you know what you have to do to defend that team. So while defenses have made those adjustments, I, my, I contend that the that the Chiefs were, were facing adjusted defensive units to contend with what has been working so are you saying is it could that be the possibility and are you saying that they just waited it out to, to somewhat find their groove against these adjusted defensive units? No, what I'm saying is this is that Patrick Mahomes is fired in a way that he wants to throw the football down the field. And this dates back to his days at Texas Tech, right? If you go back and watch, you know, that air raid offense, um, there's a lot of balls being thrown 65, 70 yards down the field, right? Which not a lot of guys can do. What I'm saying is, is that teams have adjusted and played, you know, a two deep safety look and said basically we're not going to get beat over the top. And there have been times when you watch the All-22 of this offense uh, early on in this season with three, four vertical routes with a guy underneath or a check down underneath wide open where Mahomes is forced it in or taking shots down the field into, into some double coverage or spilled the pocket. Uh, because nobody's open because he's, he wasn't willing to take, you know, an underneath route. And I think you saw, obviously, with he was nine targets last night to Daryl Williams out of the backfield, right, type of thing. I think you're starting to see him take a profit, right, take a, take a profit in the right situation and adjust from that standpoint where it's, it's you're really, you know, you can take your shots from time to time with one-on-one coverage, but if you've got guys open in the intermediate routes, the playmakers on this team here in Kansas City are good enough that you just you can't be – I don't want to call it selfish, but you can't be greedy. You can't be greedy in, in terms of you know trying to take additional shots down the field when you have other guys open. So Mark Berger from the Kansas City Chiefs joining us here on Cofield and Company talking, of course, about – the Chiefs-Raiders game last night, Monday Night Football ongoing. You probably heard some of the crowd reactions out with Willie at Twin Peaks as uh, it has been a shaky start for Matthew Stafford thus far against the San Francisco 49ers in a game the Niners really need to win. Not necessarily a rivalry game in the same way Chiefs-Raiders has always been a rivalry. Mark, what what are your memories, what are your experiences with uh, attitudes toward the the Raiders and what that rivalry was like? Well, I don't know if this rivalry is as great as it used to be right back in the old days. Yeah. Um, and when you start watching videos, and you guys have seen this back in, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s of, of guys clotheslining, you know, guys on both <laughs> sides of the ball that would not be allowed these days, obviously, in the National Football League. But it's still a division rivalry. There's still a lot of hatred there. And I, when I say hatred, in a good way, in a competitive way between these two teams. And and I think, you know, obviously the last few years, um, especially since Andy Reid's time has been here and even through my time, 
uh, back in 02 through 05. Um, you know, the Chiefs have had the Raiders numbers, um, you know, from that, but it hasn't always been that way. And so I think anyway, anytime you look at a divisional rivalry and we look at this you know, AFC West conference, you know, the Broncos weeks are always a huge week here in Kansas City as well, as I know they are in, for the Raiders. But I think the, the history of the Chiefs and Raiders, when you go back and watch those old tapes, you really see the, the true rivalry that came out. And it was always a bigger week every single week um, that you played the Raiders here. And, you know, we look at what it is now. It's obviously changed with the with the Raiders moving to Las Vegas, and it's a different crowd, it's a different atmosphere, it's you know, uh, any number of, of different things about this team. But, you know, at, at the same time, I think people still kind of pine for, for some of those days of, you know, what it used to be like with the Chiefs and the Raiders. And, and they got a tiny, tiny little piece of it last year with the whole John Gruden driving the buses around the stadium thing and taking the victory <laughs> lap and, and so right. on. What what'd you think of that whole thing? And, and uh, you know, the Chiefs getting a little chance to respond to it here this week. I didn't think too much of it at the time. I thought it was kind of cheesy also, right? I, I, I say that obviously being on the Kansas City side of things. But I also look at, at the history between Andy Reid and, and John Gruden on that. I think, you know, obviously a lot's transpired since then. Uh, but, you know, the history between those two guys, obviously, you know, coaching in Green Bay and, and then later in the year, you know, having the conversation leading up to the game in, in kind of a playful way. Um, I, you know, I think there was – at the time last year when that happened, it was a huge win for the Raiders. It was, you know, on on a home field here at Arrowhead in Kansas City, and it was a big deal. Um, you know, but I, I, I didn't, you know, look too much into it, right, type of thing um, at that point, obviously. But, uh, yeah, but I think it just it speaks to the history of, of what this rivalry is between these two teams and, and truly the history of it. Mark, real quick, um on the other side of it, you were a former football player. With everything that the Raiders have gone through between the John Gruden scandal and then Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett, I'm not sure how much that the latter of that is bothering them. But is this a team that can can shake this and still do something? From what you've seen with that talent um, and what this team's made up of and, and now with this coaching staff, um, what, what do you see taking place with the Raiders at this point? Well, I'm not going to – you know, I – I'm going to speculate on this, but I'll just say this about it, right? And and this is a very talented team. I, I see a talented team in, in the Raiders. I really do. They've got a good team, and and obviously the last couple of weeks haven't gone well for them. But but I will say this, you know, when you have to deal with the issues that they've had to deal with this year, and, and this isn't, and I said this on the pregame show here this week leading up to this game, um, you know, and obviously the Henry Ruggs situation is an incredibly tragic situation all the way around, right, when you look at it. But this is also, and not to downplay that situation, but it, it didn't happen in the offseason. It happened midseason. But then you couple that with the fact that the emails come out in regards to your head coach. He, you know, quote, resigns in the middle of the year. That's a lot to deal with over a couple-week stretch. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that, Teams will rally around an interim head coach. They'll rally around a you know a backup quarterback for a couple games, uh, but it takes a lot of energy to do that. And I don't just don't think you can put you know uh, a real value, I guess, for lack of a better term, on how much energy that takes to to get up and not have to deal with those you know those situations, right? And 
it's unprecedented. It really is. What, what everything they've gone through so far this year, it's not that. Hey, we might have a little uh, blip there with Mark's phone. Former Kansas City Chief Mark Borichter, appreciate your time. Great spot here on Cofield and Company. We will be uh, we'll be in that grab bag in just one moment. And if you thought the Ben Zobra story was kind of crazy, I got a better one for you. Cofield and Company presents. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Wrapping it up here on Cofield and Company. If you are in the car listening to the end of the show, turn the wheel directly southeast. I'm assuming you're going toward Henderson. Uh, go check out Monday Night Football at Twin Peaks. Willie Ramirez is out there. Got some giveaways, got some beers, got some apps. Willie, uh, Willie, how is it looking out there? I would think that your 49ers fans in the house are a lot happier bunch. They are. They're real happy. And it is, at this point, it is packed. It is lively. There are a couple tables left, but uh, Chloe's at the front taking care of business. Uh, there are seats at the back booth. There are big screens everywhere. There are drink specials throughout the game, but, uh, beer, ice-cold beer specials. Um, fantastic kitchen, so make sure you get down here ASAP and get situated for it because what looks like it's going to be uh, an unbelievable game. I believe it's now, what, 14-7? Stick your hand in there, Dave. Keep an eye on uh, what's going on there with the score. Of course, the 49ers, one of those two touchdowns that Willie just mentioned, a pick six off the hands of Tyler Hickby into the hands of Jimmy Ward. Uh, he was able to take back for a touchdown. Now, I want to warn the listeners. You said if you're driving down, you know, if you're on the freeway, if you're driving, head southeast. If you're driving and you're about to listen to this grab bag, put two hands on the wheel and just yeah. stay Focus. Yeah. Do not get yeah. distracted and stare at the radio when we start talking. And just focus on the driving, but be prepared. Yeah, I I like to think of myself as a bringer of sunshine, uh, as someone who makes life a little bit better for everyone. They tune into our radio program here on Cofield and Company, and they get a little bit of knowledge and they get a little bit of entertainment, um, and they get a little something to make them feel like well. You know, I might not have had the best day, but I did not have someone pee in my mouth at a concert. Right? And I mean, like, if you really need to go down to the very bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy and, like, where can I say, all right, things aren't so bad. Nobody peed in my mouth today. Um, and if you think that I'm just making up random words and putting them together Mad Lib style, uh, no, no, I'm not. Um, Willie, I, I don't know that either of us is a big fan of Brass Against... Uh, it, it. it is a band known for performing br brass versions of rock songs. And, hey, uh, there's something out there for everybody. Uh, but according to this story that, that I, I found earlier, um, they have issued an apology after their lead singer peed on a fan's face at a festival in Daytona Beach. So, first of all, Stunner, this happened in Florida. Um, during a set at Welcome to Rockville on Thursday night, singer Sophia. Whoa, hey, no, whoa, 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 wait a second. This was a female singer that peed in someone's mouth. Okay. Uh, just makes the logistics a little more interesting. Uh, Sophia Eurista pulled down her pants on stage and peed on a surprisingly willing fan 
mid-song. Uh, yep. They issued an apology to the band on the next day. We had a great time last night at Welcome to Rockville. Sophia got carried away. And let's be honest, we've all thought to ourselves, this is a great time, but wouldn't it be better if I could pee in somebody's mouth? That's not something the rest of us expected, they said, and it's not something you'll see again at our shows. Thanks for bringing it last night, Daytona. Um, according to this article, she grabbed a bottle of water, did Sophia, noted that the show would be closed out with her relieving herself on someone in the audience once she drank it all. Drank it all. Quote, get my man with the can on his head ready because we're going to bring him on stage and I'm a piss in this mother boops mouth. Um, and then she did. And then she kicked him off stage. Um, Willie, I don't know what your idea of a good time is. And if it involves anything like this, feel free not to share it with me. But what 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 led to all of this? What what do you think? What do you think was the sequence of events that not only brought this woman to decide to do this, but also this man to decide? Yes, I'm going to go up on stage and participate in the brass against pee in the mouth contest. Well, in what led to it, on either party's whether it was her or his, is I'm guessing one or both had some sort of chemical effect. Mm -hmm. What that chemical might have been, I don't know. Uh, Uh, She did add, I got to pee and I can't make it to the bathroom, so we might as well make a show out of it. Oh, okay. Um, she, She added that the News Journal reports that Florida Statute 800.03 makes it unlawful to for someone to expose his or her sexual organs in public or on the private premises of another or so near thereto as to be seen from such private premises in a vulgar or indecent manner. The crime of indecent exposure is punishable by up to a year in jail or a $1,000 fine. So, to be to clarify, she is not in trouble, per se, for peeing on this man in his mouth who, by the way, he got up and stuck his head really hard, like, you know, like he had just doused himself with ice cold water after, you know, 30 minutes running around the soccer field. He was all in. She's in trouble for exposing herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he also, by the way, to add one piece to that, um, because the man here is not blameless, he, he scooped up what he could in his hands oh. and threw some of it out into the audience as though as if to say... I am a giver. I do not want to be the only person who gets to experience Sophia peeing on them today. Uh, you all should be part of urination. Okay, real quick, uh, Bobby, you've been to some of the greatest concerts in the world, some of the greatest rock. Have you ever experienced somebody peeing on someone's face? GG Allen, have a nice day. What? <laughs> Gofield Company back tomorrow. <laughs> Ah, sometimes all it takes is a one-liner to make the whole thing happen. For Willie out at Twin Peaks, for Ari, for Bobby, we'll see you tomorrow.